The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Project Management Professional, a path to freedom and government opportunity, a professional development seminar. Featuring President and CEO of the Bones Theory Group, LLC, Michelle Jones. President of Strategic Consulting Networking, Incorporated, Dr. Anthony Jr. Project Manager for Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Eric Watson. An Engineering Project Manager for Science Systems and Applications, Andre Smith. Top leaders in the field of project management will lead an in-depth discussion in the current market along with critical trends and insights affecting talent acquisition, retention, and promotion. Learn about the best practices and the model agencies to pursue a government career and leverage your PMP certificate. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Project Management Professional, a path to freedom and government opportunity, featuring Michelle Jones, Dr. Anthony Jr., Eric Watson, and Andre Smith. All right, good morning, everyone. Oh, that sounded bad. Good morning. Rise and shine. It's Saturday morning. We're about to learn some amazing things today. We have a really great panel here for you. Um, and we just want to welcome you to the Bay of Stars and Stripe uh, 2020 conference. Uh, and my name is Sonia Kumar, and I am president and CEO of Digital Envy. Uh, we're proud to have you all participate in this, um, this panel, which is called Project Management. And we currently have uh, Ms. Michelle Jones, president and CEO of the Bone Theory Group, LLC. And she'll be leading this panel. We will be having another panel member that will be joining us, Dr. Junior. Um, so keep in mind, we'll have one more, one more panelist with you. So Michelle, is it for you? Okay. Well, good morning. Okay, I'm, I'm really going to uh, try this again because, um, <laughs> you know, I will say this. Anytime you're up on a Saturday morning and you're doing professional development is a good morning. That means that you're investing your time in yourself when other people are sleeping, watching Netflix, uh, doing something of that nature. So um, it is a beautiful day and it is wonderful that you're here, so welcome. Um, first of all, some just some quick housekeeping notes that we all have to uh, go over. Um, make sure everyone's sitting, in, and you can move up front if you want to, just to make sure. Um, we won't be having any slides, so that's a good thing. One thing that I encourage is that you do ask the questions. This is your opportunity to ask those things that uh, you typically uh, want to ask. Uh, sometimes you forget to ask, uh, or you're not in the forum to ask those questions. So uh, please make sure that you use that uh, this time to do that. Again, there will be one more panelist uh, joining us really quickly. I'll just give you a quick background. My background, I am prior military. I served 25 years in the Army. I've been retired for about 14 years. That's retired from the Army, but not retired from life. 
Um, I uh, made history in the Army. My last six assignments, I was the first woman ever to hold those positions, and I was the highest enlisted woman in the Army, um, actually in the all the services. Um, I am a former political appointee as well, as well as running my own business, and I am just delighted to be in this place and space, and I think this is my seventh or eighth year working with Bea. So anyway, welcome. So thank you. So we have three actual members, and like I said, the third will be joining us. Uh, today we have Mr. Andre Smith, Mr. Eric Watson, and Anthony Jura, who will be joining us. So, as always, we like to start the panel off to, so you know exactly who is sitting here. So if you can tell us maybe about in one minute and 37 seconds, um, a little bit about yourself, and then why did you decide, and again, this, this workshop, if you don't know, is Project Management Professionals. Just want to make sure you're in the right one. Why did you choose, um, or what led you, I should say, to the project management uh, career? Okay. Morning, everyone. How are you all doing? Great. Again, I'm Andre Smith, and uh, I am currently a project manager or program manager at Science Systems and Applications, Inc., and what I do primarily is I oversee the power systems development of multiple space missions at NASA Goddard, so the contractor workforce, and the team pretty much builds all sorts of power systems you can think of for spacecrafts. And what got me to the project management side of things, I'm electrical engineer by trade, and, uh, you know, just trying to figure out, like, having a larger impact. You know, I started my career, you know, building small little boards and power systems and integrating them into a larger spacecraft that we launched. But I've had the opportunity to participate in multiple parts of the spacecraft lifecycle. So from drawing on a napkin what we think we want to launch to actually launching it, operating it, and then decommission pieces falling into the Indian Ocean. So the full life cycle. And being on the program management or project management side of things gives me a larger perspective in terms of designing the full systems, affecting the people, pulling the teams together to create some larger and more impactful missions. So for me, it's a way for me to participate in the, the larger construct of having more impact and providing some better solutions for customers and for myself as well. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, again, my name's uh, Eric Watson. I am a uh, retired uh, Marine Corps aviator. I flew uh, H-1 Whiskey Cobra attack helicopters and uh, Cessna Citations when I was in the Marine Corps. And uh, I retired in, uh, in 2012, and I ended up in, in project management um, because, uh, number one, I kind of wanted to face phase out of aviation. I think that was more of a young man's game. I was transitioning to old man. Um, and I saw that the direction of uh, the, the management of, of all aspects of operations uh, when it comes to, to uh, government operations and even in um, businesses and, and how things were actually managed. So uh, project management was a, a big piece of, of how things, and still is a, a big piece of how things are managed. Uh, day to day. Um, so when I retired, I uh, transitioned to uh, Department of Defense, uh, Defense Health, and I managed uh, defense healthcare uh, IT projects uh, for three and a half years and uh, transitioned uh, to my current position uh, just four and a half years ago with uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, where, <clears throat> excuse me, I manage uh, IT projects there as well. 
So I have to ask the question, what is one of the biggest myths about project management? <laughs> uh, I'll start with that one. So one of the biggest myths, I think, with project manage management, and this is me coming from a, a technical perspective, is that it's all for business people. You have to know every single detail. I don't know if anyone has looked at the PMP certification and all the different components that are in there. It, has it been intimidating to any of you, right? There's a lot of information. So one of the things that, uh, that kind of intimidated me was, was the list, the criteria. You have to be good at all of these things. That's not necessarily true. You've got to be aware of all of these things. You also have to find what your niche is. And the areas that you're strong in, you need to develop those. Don't just focus on your weaknesses, but develop your strengths, because that's going to make you unique and show your unique value proposition, right? Okay. And I, I guess a, a myth that, that I've seen is that there's any one uh, standard path uh, to becoming a, a project manager. Um, so as I already uh, alluded to, I was an aviator uh, in the Marine Corps. I didn't have, you know, acquisition background. I didn't have a uh, background in, in project management per se. Now, in, in, in the military, you know how to manage tasks uh, from day to day, but it's not per the PMI, PMBOK standard of, of managing projects. So that was, that was something I had to learn, but there's no... Uh, standard path where you, you don't have to come from a project management background in the military to transition to project management in, uh, in, in life after uh, the military. So there's, there are various ways uh, to arrive there as, as long as you learn uh, the fundamentals uh, of the PMBOK and um, <laughs> pass the test, basically. <laughs> you want to add to that, Andre? Sure. So here's, here's one of the most interesting things Eric mentioned, the path to project management. And uh, that's something, you know, as an engineer, I'm always thinking about, you know, how does one thing connect to the other and how do you, you know, how do you get there? And it's so hard to try to figure out the path. You know, we were just talking about this. And there's, here's, here's my biggest advice, I think, to most people who want to get from one place to another. Look for someone who, the LinkedIn profile that has the role that you want or a couple people, and then just look at the path they took to get there. You can see like the jobs they skipped or hopped or you know moved around and any side things, committees, boards, you know, side ventures, op entrepreneurial things they did. And if, if you like that profile, just make a checklist and start checking off where you have those skills or those things and just go for it. But you'll find that there's so many different paths and you can create your own unique path as well. So it, it's, to Eric's point, I, I totally agree. It, trying to fit yourself into this box, it's not really a box when it comes to project management. It's really an art. That's really what it comes down to. Okay. So with that being said, what is more important? An MBA, PMP certification, or PM certification, or just going in and doing it? I would say as far as more important, now I guess we can, I guess, break this down with regard to important in, in what respect, in what manner. So when you talk about important uh, for resume building, um, I think a lot of uh, hiring managers or, or people that uh, are looking for uh, project managers would, would tend to look 
more at a PMP than an MBA. Um, I know I, I have both an MBA and, and a PMP, and I can't say you know what on my resume helped uh, me you know with regard to, to, to hiring. But I think when you know when it specifically comes to project management, uh, a lot of people are more looking for that that PMP um, certification. Now, to another point of what you said is just jumping in and, and doing it right. Mm -hmm. If you have an opportunity uh, to manage projects and they don't, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily require um, a hiring action or someone to look at your certifications and those type things. If you have the opportunity, just jump in and get that experience because experience, when it comes down to it, is what really counts in, in anything you do, right? Absolutely, I, I, I totally agree. I also think that it depends on the, the space that you're targeting to be effective in. You know, whether you get a PMP or an MBA or which one is more effective for you, uh, I'm in the government contracting space. And traditionally, you'll hear what's more valuable. I can sell a PMP, but I can't sell an MBA. It just depends on the space. However, if you're going into consulting, great that you have a PMP, but where's your MBA? You know, right. <laughs> it's, right. it's just really it just really depends. It depends on where you want to go. But ultimately, as Eric mentioned, it's really about just jumping in and getting some experience. There's a lot of opportunities to be an informal project manager. And what you're going to find is these experiences are going to shape the type of project manager you're going to become when you have a formal role. You know, and, and that's the big thing. When you interview for a project management job, they're going to ask you, hey, well, you know, what have you done before? It doesn't necessarily mean everything you've done with your PMP. It just means similar to when you do your PMP application, they're asking you, well, what other project management experiences have you had? What other opportunities have you had to interface with people? What other opportunities have you had to influence the outcome of some work project, if you will? And project is relative. It's not a billion dollar spacecraft that you're building. It could be, listen, a, a one week document that you guys are writing that needs inputs from multiple people in, in different departments, for example. It doesn't have to be a really, really huge, uh, huge deal. So that, that's, that's my take on that. So I'm going to pretend I am an interviewer and you are applying for a job. Because I, I like the scenario based kind of things. You know. <laughs> Makes it a little fun. Uh, so interviewer to interviewees. Okay. So we have an opening here uh, for a project manager. Can you tell me uh, what is one of the projects that you worked on that went well? And you know, just to just to warn you, I'm going to throw one in there that didn't go so well. Okay, so answer, either one. All right, so Eric's gonna throw me under the bus first here. <laughs> okay, so a uh, project that went well. Um, so I'll give you guys a, a small a small project that went well. Small project that went well. We were in the in the process of uh, doing a decommission for a spacecraft called Trim. It's a science mission at NASA Goddard. And what ends up happening is these spacecrafts are the spacecraft was 18 years old. The batteries, solar arrays, all these things are super old. They're breaking apart. We're having issues taking science data, the whole works. So the project that we we had to, I guess, undertake was creating strategies for making sure that the spacecraft could live for another year 
before it ran out of fuel so we can continue to take science information. So what we had to do there and how we, we pulled this together was one, we defined exactly what the problem was. So first defining the problem. Second, we figured out who we needed, the, the, the people that we needed to come up with some, some potential solutions, okay? Once we pulled the people together, then we brainstormed, facilitated several meetings where we were able to finally get to a final solution. And after that, we figured out who we need to execute or implement that actual solution. Once we implemented the solution, we evaluated how things went, and we were constantly readjusting things as the year went on, as things changed, and also reevaluating our strategy that we, we implemented in the first place, just to make sure that you know, things were going to continue to operate as expected. So that, that, uh, that's, that's one of the, the, the small projects that I would say was, well, it wasn't a billion dollar spacecraft, like I said, that NASA likes to do. <laughs> but it's a small, you know, it was a small um, two month project just to get things going and then you know, checking in every month or so for like an hour or two to see if things are still working okay. So follow up question. You spoke in French, you said we. Who are some of the stakeholders involved in that process? Yeah, so uh, the we, that's important. Stakeholders, we're talking about a collaboration between, of course, the government, civil servants, contractors. So I'll, I'll give you an example, and I can speak freely about this. It's not a classified mission. You can Google it, right? <laughs> so in this mission in particular, it was a joint mission with, the, with NASA and the Japanese space agency, JAXA. So NASA and JAXA split the bill 50-50. JAXA, they created, had their own uh, radiometer, if you, or active radar on the spacecraft. So all the information went there. So we pulled people from Japan uh, in person and via telecom or videocom to be able to discuss, talk about impacts. We had another company called Ball Aerospace, which is out in Colorado, that created another instrument on the spacecraft. We had to interface with them on a regular basis as well. We're talking about having management uh, and, and executives in the chain to make sure that they can clear roadblocks or provide funding when necessary for us to be able to make things happen. We have the engineers that uh, built the spacecraft 12, 15 years ago. They're no longer involved, pulling on some of the, that historical knowledge that's available. And we have the team that's currently working to fly the spacecraft that, that are involved in the daily implementation. So there's a, there's the full spectrum of who's who and who has a finger in the pulse, but also some people that you wouldn't expect. You know, um, a lot of these folks are not in, um, we're not in my uh, organization in terms of me having authority or control. So there's a lot of negotiating, a lot of influence that, that goes into that as well. So the stakeholder engagement is in communications management pieces of, that you'll find at the PMBOK specifically, it, really, really imperative for you to be able to get a hold of those areas and be good at them, you know, develop some competency. Fantastic. So now just to throw this out there, this is not what happened to him. Like personally, he's going to tell a story about one that did not go well. Go ahead. So I don't want you to think, oh, my gosh, he's horrible. Oh, I get no. the bad one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get the bad one. <laughs> the benefits of going second. Oh. <laughs> um, and why? And why? Okay, um, there was a uh, when when I was working with um, Defense Health, it was actually one of my, my first projects, and <laughs> I guess that's uh, <laughs> that's how it goes, right? <laughs> uh, one of my first projects with Defense Health uh, was a, a system 
that um, was situated to baseline and monitor uh, traumatic brain injury among soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. So uh, it was a, uh, it was somewhat like a, a, a video game. Uh, so you, you know, it, it, it tested your reaction and your reaction time uh, to, to things on a, uh, it, was, it was somewhat of a, I'll just call it a laptop, but, you, <laughs> <laughs> but it, was, it was tracking your, your reaction times and those, those type things. So you had a baseline established and after that baseline or, or post some type of uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, concussion, whatever the case may be, you would test again and look for the variance in, uh, in, from, from that baseline. Um, so um, the project was, it was actually going well <laughs> for a while. It always starts like that, right? Um, however, some of the stakeholders uh, that were involved um, saw different opportunities. Now, this is, this is the, an issue with, with enduring projects, right? Sometimes you get into uh, projects in, that will take months, uh, even years, and in the duration, in that time frame, other technologies evolve. So there are things that, that some of the stakeholders look at, well, this system over here uh, does the same thing, but I think it does it a little more efficiently. So then, you know, once you're invested, and, and that's one of the biggest problems with, uh, with government uh, projects is that a lot of times it takes them so long to evolve uh, that some of that evolving technology kind of takes over and, and you have to uh, kind of change gears at, at times. And, and that's, we'll get into a whole, or we can get into a whole different discussion about, uh, you know, different methodologies for, for uh, evolving those type projects. However, um, the stakeholders uh, somewhat lost interest in the, uh, the existing technology and started to, to shift their, their interest. As much as we um, had invested into this project, uh, the stakeholders felt that it was uh, a little more um, advantageous uh, for them to look at the evolving uh, technologies vice continue on the path that we were already uh, already on so and, and I'm trying to keep it at a you know a bit of a low level for for those that you know may not understand that the some of the complexities of it but um, I think that that's one of the uh, the, the big problems and uh, what you'll hear uh, quite a bit is so many government projects uh, fail uh, because over, again, over time, uh, there are so many, so many changes uh, in, in that technology. And you get to a point where you have to either say, okay, I'm gonna continue uh, on this path uh, that I'm on, or we're gonna you know, uh, change, change our direction and, uh, and look at new technologies. And kinda, you know, when you get to a point where you have uh, sunk costs, that you've already invested so much money in it, you know, you have to either say, I'm, I'm going to uh, accept the fact that uh, those, those costs are sunk and, uh, and move on, 
or we're going to continue uh, along this line. So again, um, it uh, was a, it was a learning experience because again, it was one of my my first projects uh, as a project manager. So I. I came to understand that uh, a lot of the, uh, the way you expect things to go in projects isn't necessarily <laughs> the way things the way are going to go. go. Right? Did you want to add something to that? No, I, I was just commenting. That is so true. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, you mentioned uh, about the, the time period. You mentioned something about the time period for a project. The longer the project is, the, the more that things could go to the wayside. And welcome, uh, Mr. Anthony or Dr. Anthony over there. Thank Does everyone you. say welcome? Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate your patience. <laughs> um, what time period would you say would be um, ideal? Won't say the best, but ideal for any type of project where you can manage um, more effectively and that changes, because change will happen, um, some much more quickly than others. So what would be an ideal time period? That's hard to say because the projects come in so many size, shapes, colors, mm -hmm. et cetera. So they, you know, the, an, an ideal project, and it, it all depends on the complexity and, mm -hmm. and, and those type things. So I, I would say in, in, in my particular case, an ideal project is something that I can get into um, and get out of quickly before <laughs> stakeholders decide that they would like to, you know, make some type of changes. So I would say around uh, six months or so is is a pretty good time frame. I mean, I, I've been involved with projects that that were, you know, years long, right? And and that's when you know a lot of times the stakeholders can get their fingers in there and, and want to make changes and and you know uh, modify the the requirements and, and all those type things, um, but. I would think around, you know, a six month or so time frame would be a good time frame to, to be able to focus on on getting the initial requirements mm -hmm. uh, accomplished and, and getting those type things uh, wrapped up in, in relatively quick fashion. Yeah, I definitely think I would agree with that for sure. The challenges, uh, you know, as Eric mentioned, it's it just depends on the project. For me, I, I deal with two sides. The company I work for, we have internal projects, and to Eric's point, those are six-month projects. Right now, we're working on an uh, electronic IT transformation in, internal to the company. I'm helping to build that out, and it's a it's a quick turn. You know, it's hey, define these metrics. Here's what we're trying to we're trying to do: pull together the right teams within the company's infrastructure organizations to get it done, and that's fine. On the other hand, my external customer, NASA is my my customer. Those projects, they're 10, 15, 20 years sometimes in terms of length right. because it's, it's an entire project where you're coming up with a, a concept for some planetary exploration. One new mission that uh, we just um, were one in partnership with, it's called Dragonfly. It's going to Titan, which is one of Saturn's moons. It takes nine years to get there, and we still have to build <laughs> the spacecraft, right? So that's, uh, that's like a 20-year... <laughs> spin, if you will. So it just really depends. But when you get to the long projects, the benefit is this. You can sort of compartmentalize things. If you think about it from a systems approach, you can look at different phases of the project and have those be mini projects, if you will. Okay. So you can start to compartmentalize and modularize the, the process 
so that you have smaller projects with milestones that feed into the next phase or the next iteration of it. Can't say it's agile because it's so long, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's another way to, to move through. Before we, um, and I know that, um, Anthony, you want to add something. I saw you taking copious notes. Could you do a like a one-minute bio and tell everyone about yourself and what led you into the project management arena? Oh, okay. Well, I'm a uh, retired uh, Defense Department, uh, Department of Navy uh, project manager, program manager. Uh, I managed a couple of uh, projects with Navy uh, STEM education for Navy writ large, for Navy and Marine Corps. We had about $85 million a year spend, uh, impacting around 100,000 students, everything what we call K to gray, which is from elementary school through postdoc uh, and faculty development. And also managed the Navy's historically black colleges and minority institutions program. About a $50 million a year spend, uh, and we were to get the the minority institutions involved in our research, contracting, uh, and education enterprise. So that includes the Hispanic serving institutions, the black colleges, uh, the other minority institutions, Hawaii and Guam, Asian Pacific Islanders, Alaska Natives, tribal colleges. I uh, did that for uh, around 20 years or so. Um, and now I've retired in uh, actually, I came out in 2013. I have my own firm. I do project management now on the uh, on the other side as uh, working in an in industry and uh, working for uh, different companies and uh, executing those uh, their projects. I have something with uh, Moe Hennessy, uh, Samsung Next, LinkedIn different kinds of projects, different activities going on. Uh, got into project management because I was doing the pro program management stuff. And of course, uh, you know, you're COTAR, and then you have to go to uh, DAU and get your certifications, contracting officer, program manager, so on. And when I came out, I said, oh, this should be a piece of cake. I ought to be able to make this transition <laughs> with no problem. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Come to, come to find out when you get on the commercial side, uh, people don't know what DAU is. And do we? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? Uh, I'm sorry, God bless you. So, um, <laughs> what do we? Oh, yeah, okay. So uh, that's what motivated me to go after the PMP. And having all of the years of experience, I said, oh, this ought to be a piece of cake. You're listening to Project Management Professional, a path to freedom and government opportunity, a professional development seminar featuring Michelle Jones, Dr. Anthony Jr., Eric Watson, and Andre Smith. Brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. That was another uh, aha moment. <laughs> but uh, so I made the transition. I got my PMP. And then I was able to go out and pick up projects and do some of the things that I'm doing now. 
but that was the real motivation is how do I take all of these skills that uh, Navy has paid for, Department of Defense has paid for, um, and then translate that into something that is marketable outside of government. Okay. All right. So, thank you. So did you want to add something to that last question? I saw you taking notes, but if not, we'll move, we'll move on to the now, next just a Just a brief point, mm -hmm. um, and I, I absolutely, with, with ideal project timelines, uh, a lot of times it also, and as you guys had mentioned, the, 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 uh, Andre with uh, NASA, you know, it depends on your customer. And I think one of the things that you realize is that on the government side, you get the, you get the luxury of these long-term projects lasting years and years. And sometimes you get them on the commercial side as well. Uh, but you have to break them down into those, uh, that, that Eric mentioned many, uh, Andre mentioned many projects, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. In my world, that is uh, deliverables. And I think in terms of what triggers payment. See, when you're on the government side, and, Eric, and Andre will be able to appreciate this, Eric's still on the government side, but Andre can appreciate this. What work packet do you have to accomplish that you can turn around as a deliverable to that client, and then that triggers a payment? So when he talks about these mini projects, you have this, this continuum, but I get paid here, I get paid here, I get paid here, I get paid here. And once that project, once that client signs off on that pro, on that quote unquote mini project, um, and it's a different way of thinking because in the government you've got budgets, you don't really have to, you know, you talk about deliverables in terms of timelines and schedules, but you don't really talk about in terms of um, the accounting aspects and how do I get paid. Okay, so I'm going to take. Did you want to? No. Okay, uh, take a moment here and. I like to break up the question piece. Anyone have a question right now? I, I saw a hand go up. Okay, if you could step up to the mic, um, please, so everyone can hear you. Oh, yeah, good morning. Uh, good my morning. name is Aaron Ferguson, National Security Agency. Um, Mr. Watson, I think you talked, you made the statement about why many government projects fail. And um, I, I agree with most of that. But what I didn't hear was an acknowledgement that Government projects are huge in their mm -hmm. scope and scale. And so something like NASA, where satellites are going to be far out, uh, it's not long because it's the government. It's because of the scope and scale. The, I want you, my comment is this. Respond to the following statement. A project manager and your project plan and your schedule, it's an aspiration. Right? I mean, <laughs> you're, you're aspiring to a con And I don't mean that. In a, in a negative way, mm. but you inherently have to be agile and you have to be able to pivot because things are going to change. And so, you know, when you talk about the government, change is the only constant when you're yeah. dealing with a government contract. So can you kind of speak to your ability to be, be agile? Because I don't know of any government projects I've been involved with that are six months. So can you speak to that, please? So again, Projects come in all different sizes, shapes. So you know some of the operational projects. You know, like uh, replacing a uh, a firewall uh, on on your systems. You know, a, a dated firewall. That's a project I'm, I'm working on now. That's not a, a long term in, enduring project, but it, it, there's still a lot that, that goes into that. 
some of the other projects, uh, more of the ones that, that I worked on when I was with uh, Defense Health, those were some of those more uh, long-term enduring projects that, that uh, <laughs> they, they, and honestly, we can differentiate between the difference between a, a, a project and a program. A lot of the, what we call projects in the government um, are more along the lines of, of programs because there's no uh, end in sight, really. I mean, it, there may be an end out there, you know, end of life. That, that, at some point in time. Retirement. Right. It's out there somewhere. But you know, a lot of those are, are, are programs. But um, so again, they, they come in all different sizes and shapes. So some of those, those larger uh, products or projects that, that you're talking about, uh, absolutely. You have to be, and, and that's one thing that the government is, is taking on a whole lot more now is agile project management and, and scrum and those type things. And I think that's only taken place within the last four, four years or so, four or five years or so in the government um, because they understand that those long-term projects, um, again, with, with technology changes every day, right? So, and I, I'm in IT project management. I, I, I don't have anything to do with space, <laughs> know anything about that. But, um, you know, IT technology is changing every day. So when, you know, you look at some of those, those long-term term projects, that, again, the technology is going to change. And yes, you do have to be agile in, in that respect for, for those. But again, when I was talking about the, sh the short ones, projects have all different you know, scopes and, and, and sizes and those type things. Did, yeah. did that answer your question? Yes. Anybody else want to comment on that before I sit down? Yeah, sure. Um, in terms of the schedule being an aspiration, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know, um, one of the, the biggest challenges with a schedule, especially planning a schedule 10 years out, is that things change, <laughs> and in a lot of ways, you're not going to expect them to change. And to Eric's point about changes in technology, but you're also looking at in the government changes in policy. For example, sure. NASA. Hey, we have one uh, organization, one government or one uh, presidential organization that says, "Hey, this is our charter. We're going to the moon." Okay, the next winner, the next president, chooses a new NASA administrator who has a new plan, a new policy. Now, your project is 12 years out, and four years later, it's a completely different game. So now, what happens to your budget? The budget that's been allocated yeah. for your project, you're on the chopping block. And guess what? Priorities change. So you thought you were gonna be implementing this whole pulse neutron generator with blah, 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 and you're gonna be able to go like for the next 12 years. Well, your mission got shortened to three years or your mission got cut. <laughs> what are you gonna do then, you know? So there's a lot of uh, pivoting and there's a lot of reprioritizing that has to happen on, on a regular basis, especially if you're dealing with government projects because of things like policy or administration or, or whatever it may be. Absolutely. I think um, before this, this young lady had oh, okay, a question great. too, oh, and, then, and, then, and then you'll be next. Okay. Did you want to add to that? No, I was just going to say that, that, that there is, that's, the, that's the kind of the importance of having deliverables, especially on the commercial side of the house. Because what is the logical point at which we can, if you've got a project change, and the whole, and I've had this happen where the priorities of client change, uh, but I've already done a, a substantial amount of work. Mm -hmm. But now, if everything changes, then every, all of my all of my 
activities, but more importantly, my deliverables change. And so when do I get paid? And we can play this game all day long, <laughs> right? But in the meantime, I'm out. So if you have, yeah, then I absolutely agree that things change, but if you have a deliverable schedule, then you can negotiate with the client. Here's what makes sense for us to pivot on this project. I've, or I've already delivered this, so I get paid. Now let's discuss how we can reconfigure going forward. Okay. Got a question. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Kyra Tatum, and I'm a senior computer science student at Prairie View A&M University. Right. And I have two questions. Um, how do you encourage a team member who seems to be struggling with an assignment? And is scope creep always a bad thing? <laughs> um, Anyone? Okay, so <laughs> um, to, to address the first part about it, encouraging a, a team member who may be struggling, um, one thing that uh, I had to learn uh, as I transitioned from, from my military career to you know, outside the military is that you have to learn how to communicate with all different or many different personality types. You have to be able to address people on, on, on many different levels. So, you know, in the military, you're dealing with, for the most part, you know, the type A's and, and you can just, you know, for the, it's, you give an order and you expect that, that order to be executed. Well, you know, sometimes you're dealing with a different type of person uh, <laughs> outside the military. So. In, in those cases, you have to um, learn what, what, what motivates a person, you know, and, and there's a lot of that one-on-one um, -on -one time as, as a project manager with, with some of the folks that, that may be on, on my project team just to find out what is your, you know, your, what is your, your primary motivation so I can, you know, tend to, I won't say cater to that, but work more towards, you know, what, what, what motivates you. And, and in, in business, you know, a big thing is, is, is money, right? Mm -hmm. But for the individual worker, a lot, of thing, a lot of times that I've seen is it's not the money that is the primary motivator. It's, right. it's a sense of ownership in that project. So what I try to do is I try to um, provide that, that sense of ownership uh, for for a, a team member uh, who who may need uh, some help, and then just kind of give them a little guidance uh, as far as my personal uh, experiences and, and and how they can overcome some of the challenges uh, that that they may be having. Um, I think that was it for that one. You I'm going to add to that um, because I I received that question a little bit differently. Um, I received it uh, as you said struggling. Yes. Okay. So struggling versus um, not being, not saying that they're not motivated. Just taking it from a different spin. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this is what I say, and that to me is a leadership type question uh, versus a manager. And let me let me say what I mean by that. As as someone that does project management, I manage non-breathing resources. Okay. I lead people, people manage themselves. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own individual individual capabilities and it's part of a team. And I call it the ABCs 
of a team makeup. A are your your hard charging. They get it. They're doing it. They're moving. Okay. Everybody wants A people because it gets done. They're on the GSD club, you know, on steroids. Let's get stuff done. And you can miss, miss, take that S and put something stuff. else in there. But I'm cleaning it up right now. Okay. Um, so that's your A. Your B people on your team, they they are like that also. But sometimes they, they falter a little bit um, or they get tired. Um, and they don't have that same intensity every single day. But most of the time. And then you have your steady C's. These are people that are not going to be that that hard. It's not because they don't want to, because everyone has their own abilities, but they're steady. These are the people on the team that you give a portion to, okay? They're going to get it done. It's usually something nobody else wants to do, okay? And then your your D's, that's not, they're, they're almost failing. That's dedicated to certain things. And that person may only be able to handle Truth be told, one or two things, period. And then the Fs, that's your fabulous four, the cornerstone of your team. So I always say when you have a team, as a leader, look at the makeup of that team. Determine who's that A, B, C, D, and F, okay, on the team and assign accordingly. Have the conversation, make sure they're understanding what you're asking them, okay? And then and 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 my girls, my daughters, they hate when I say, I need you to regurgitate that back to mommy, okay? <laughs> um, they're like, hey, mom, regurgitate, you know. Um, but anyway, I want them to and then determine the path forward. So that's what I looked at in terms of struggle um, versus lack of motive, not not having a lack of motivation. It's just that everyone's learning abilities, abilities to execute, the mm-hmm. ability to handle certain things um, is different. And you're not going to have every A member on your team. I don't want every A member on my team because then it's going to be a contest. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm going to have a big headache and I'm going to have a lot of difficult conversations. Okay. So that's what I pull from it again. Okay. Anyone else want to add anything? I totally agree with both uh, both comments. I think that um, the challenge in leading is that you can't treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone that's struggling, to both points, you have to get to the point of what's what's the issue? Is it a fit issue? Is it a knowledge issue? What exactly is the issue? And so you can help them effectively. Mm-hmm. But I think you know both of those are so important when it comes to not just managing, but leading, because that's what you're doing as a project manager, honestly. And then I add anything else? Next question, if not? Okay. Thank you very much. This is the one about the Scope Creek. Scope Creek, yeah. So I'll... Oh, that's right. You did. Okay, you can have a seat. Go ahead. The other portion. I'm sorry. That's right. You did have a two-part. One question, okay. please, because I'll forget. <laughs> so I was going to also talk about scope creep from my perspective as a NASA contractor. So hmm. it's it's both good and bad. So scope creep is good because I'm trying to expand my role on the contract, right? Mm. So, for example, if it's we have these uh, contracts within the government, the one I currently, you know, support our, our our program supports is a cost plus, which means if you do the work, you get paid. So the more meaningful work we're doing, the more our company gets paid. So scope creep, if we're expanding the role uh, and the, the realm of work that we're doing, 
Absolutely, that's a good thing. <laughs> we're providing a lot of value and we're providing more money uh, for our, for our, in our pockets per se, right? So that's, that's a good thing. However, in the event that we have an internal project or a project that's just based on deliverables, it's a, fixed, a firm fixed price, for example, scope creep is not good. Because if we've already agreed on the terms, which means the money, <laughs> the payment, and the deliverables, if I now, if my payment's gonna be the same and I'm, I'm now doing more work, that's gonna cut into my, my profits. Mm. So, you know, the, it's, it can be good and bad, just depends on how your payment structure or your contract mm. is set up, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say, uh, from, I guess, from my perspective, from a, a more of a government perspective, um, it depends what type of methodology you're working out of, right? So, you have waterfall met- methodology and agile methodology. So, waterfall, your, your scope is set up front and you work to build towards that, uh, that, that scope over time. Um, and, and that's where I say scope creep is, is a bad thing because you, know, you already have an established scope, you're working towards that, and you're not expecting those changes uh, throughout the duration of, of the project, right? But that's why uh, the agile methodology uh, came about, so you can make those those changes and add to your backlog and, and the scope is, is ever changing in an in a agile type of a project. Mm. I, I, I think you hit it right on the head. And, and uh, Andre, I like what you said about it. It all depends on the contract type. Uh, as you expand scope, uh, the, 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 one of the issues you can find is that you, you can, in your zeal, have actually entered into a whole nother project. And it doesn't take but a minute. And you know, they, they talk about gold plating, right? Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to, the client asked for this, but you know what? We want to exceed, we don't want to just meet the client's expectations. We're going to exceed the client's expectations. <laughs> so they've asked for a widget and you built them a car. <laughs> Now, if you can do that within the same budget on the same time, with the same schedule and with the same resources, God bless you. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it. I'd suggest getting the people a widget, getting it on time, getting it with some quality, getting the customer to sign off on that. Then, as, as Andre was mentioning, then go back and let me tell you how I can improve upon that, how we can expand upon this, because again, you know that, and you'll, you'll hear a recurrent thing from me. When do I get paid? <laughs> Period, point blank, and simple. Like, we're going to keep this. Now we can expand. <laughs> Thank you. Gentlemen in the back, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yogana Mercer Bay, CCG. Uh, I've done program management, different places, government, industry. Uh, one of the things that I find most interesting, though, is customer engagement and managing customer expectations Mm. through short projects, long projects, and I'm always willing to hear, you know, different perspectives. And I was wondering if you could, I mean, you basically just hit on a little bit of it, and we talked about it earlier, but if we could actually just sort of encompass that and and, and give folks an idea, right, of your experiences and dealing with that customer uh, and how to manage them. And it's, and it's a tough job, I can imagine, right? But mm-hmm. please, go for it, guys. <laughs> yeah, customer engagement is, uh, and communications management, they go hand in hand. Customer engagement, communications management go hand in hand. Um, as, a, 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 as a prime on a government contract, there are a lot of stakeholders. 
I'm dealing with my customer NASA, I'm dealing with subcontractors, I'm dealing with teammates on the contract, and I'm dealing with employees, my own employees, direct reports, I'm dealing with my, my subcontractors' employees, they all work on site. So there are so many competing, you know, uh, competing objectives, if you will. And everybody wants the same thing in a nutshell. They want to be able to get the job done. And everybody has a different idea of how that's going to happen. <laughs> that's the challenge. So the challenge in terms of stakeholder engagement is increasing your communication in times of challenge, difficulty, uh, conflict. We found, and we've been going through this, it's the first year of the contract. Of course, everybody is trying to you know, make their mark and, and really cement what they want and how, what you're going to do for them. But we found that having regular communication with stakeholders is really important and everybody doesn't need the same level of communication every time right so with overall project offices there are multiple projects i have about eight projects in my portfolio at goddard different space space missions that is and every every customer needs something different the challenge is to figure out okay well what exactly do you need you know is this person uh, supportive of your company is this person supportive of, of the project you know are they looking to uh to get rid of uh, Get rid of. Are they looking to change their staffing? Right? Are, are they? You know, what? What is the objective? And it's it's a challenge. But the strategies that we found to be very very effective have been to have transparency in terms of the processes that we're using to get the work done. I, I found that a lot of times you'll have uh, managers or project managers. They have huge responsibility. There's a large budget, and they would just like some more transparency and understanding how you're doing what you're doing. Now they don't need to know your day to day. They just want to know like what's your process? You know, how are you, what's your thought process about about how you're getting the job done? What resources are you going to use? So we found that the communication allows us to partner. So as if we're teammates with the customer in getting the job done, that approach has been really effective in terms of minimizing a lot of the conflicts that we've had with the customers, minimizing a lot of well, you said you were going to do this, but you actually did this uh, situations. It also allows us when we're having issues with external parties outside of NASA or outside of the team that the, our, our customer is willing to go to bat for us as well. So mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a challenge in a lot of ways to, to manage all the competing objectives, but we've just found that being more transparent with communication to a point, to a point, I'll say that the caveat to a point, um, definitely helps. <laughs> um, I would concur with, uh, with regard to the, the transparency piece. Um, I think as, as long as the expectations are set forth up front, and, and you can follow through with that, that expectation management, and uh, that, you know, along with the, the communications plan and those type things, and, and you have an idea of, of um, the expected communication. But when, when there are issues, I think that's where the transparency uh, comes in uh, most, because no bad news gets better with time. Right, and and I don't think anyone likes surprises uh, when it comes to to issues and those type things. So I think that that, that transparency thing is is key uh, when it comes to uh, whatever um, type of communications and, and managing that, that that customer engagement. Because again, you don't want to know that we had a problem a month ago and we're just, you know, getting it fixed. I'm just letting you know, you know, so you want to make sure that you have that, that, that back and forth and that, that flow with regard to communication. Yeah, uh, I, I would offer and suggest that if you, if you haven't, if you have an opportunity on to uh, take a class or a seminar on how to conduct meetings, uh, it can be very, very beneficial. Uh, 
keeping it short and sweet to the point. Here's what we're here to do. Here's what we're here to accomplish. Everybody gets a chance to chime in and make some things happen. All sounds great. I got one client that they're, they're kind of partners. One is a morning person and the other one is it's a night, night person. Mm -hmm. Availability. <laughs> when I say morning, I'm talking 530. Not a problem. String of emails. Go through the day. That's just with the principles, right? That's not the team. That's a whole nother uh, set of emails and things during the day. The other one chimes in around 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning. Strings of emails. Then it gets a little better because we're on the East Coast. They're out of New York. And we got folks on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So now when we have team meetings and things, they want, you know, an 8 o'clock meeting at night or a 9 o'clock meeting at night, our time. So the question became, uh, how, do you, how do you manage all of this? And my first thing, my first the, the inclination was to be responsive, right? Hey, the customer's always right. You just jump in there, suck it up, right? Not a problem. That will drive you crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't get any sleep. Okay, I mean, I'm up. It, it was. It got to the point where I had to put some parameters around. Absolutely. It. Uh, I think Eric would mention about um, establishing expectations up front. That is so critical. That people have an idea as how to interact with you and how to effectively deal with you. The other thing is that stakeholder grid. Who are the stakeholders? And it's so important because all you got to do is get one of them wrong. That's kind of, that may appear initially to be peripheral to the project. Turns out they're not peripheral. They're just, they just don't need to be out front. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of sway on that project and you haven't identified them. Mm -hmm. And what gets worse, you're not providing them with enough information. So your communications, your, your, and, 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 and when Andre mentioned the communications grid and the, and the stakeholder engagement grid, so who is the person? What is their role in the project? Contact information. How do they prefer to get information? Do they prefer emails, phone calls, text messages? The other thing I do is set up Google Docs. Mm -hmm. I have so people can view at any given point in time, given that with this large disparity of time that people are obviously in their productive periods, if I've got my whole project plan and everything on Google Docs and different tabs, then they can look at it at their convenience. Yeah. You know, they can provide comments, send out emails, do a whole flurry of activity, and none of it is lost in this, in the, this cacophony of, of noise and that. Uh, yeah, I like yeah, I like that word too. <laughs> but it, it doesn't get lost in the noise. Well, we could probably sit here and ask questions for about another hour, um, but our time is coming to an end. So, what I will ask each panel member: one thing, clear, concise on point for the prior military, tight shot group, 
would you share with this group that you wish you would have known walking in the door or either, either that you have learned as you have evolved hmm. as a PM? So I'll give you about 22 seconds to think about that. <laughs> Notice I never give the zero or the, or the, or the half or anything. I like wow. 22 seconds. I would say in preparation for your career, whether it's entrepreneurship or in the government or whatever it is in project management, don't just spend time trying to study to pass the PMP exam. Spend time learning project management, whether it's through coursework, whether it's shadowing someone who's successful at it, but make sure you spend the time there. That's my small piece of advice. Um, mine would have to be with regard to the PMP exam. And just how many people have, have already taken the PMP exam? Any? Oh, excellent. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many passed? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> now, how many people have not taken the exam uh, but had project management experience? Okay, for, for those people, uh, when you plan to take the exam, forget everything that you know about project management. <laughs> right Honestly, because no, no organization uh, manages projects uh, strictly by the PMBOK. And when you take right. the exam, it is strictly by PMBOK standards. All right, so forget what you know. There are some tweaks and, and, and modifications that, that all organizations make. When you go to take that exam, Forget all those tweaks and modifications. Forget what you know right now. Study strict to the PMBOK, and you will do just fine. Hmm. I like that. That's a, that's a, that's a really good piece of advice. Reminds me of doing a dissertation. And like that. Remember, this is not yours. Right? This is your advisor. You just do what he tells you to do, and you're going to get out of here. Now, if you want to do what you want to do, then you're going to be on the lifelong uh, dissertation journey, and I think it's the same way with uh, with going through the through the test. I guess the thing that I wish that I had uh, been a bit more sensitive to uh, was the transition point between the government and the and the outside. I didn't I didn't really have an appreciation for um, how different that world is and that took a bit of coming up to speed you know I mean we, we all have schedules and stuff uh, industry is a whole different ball game and I know you know that, that Eric that understanding the government side and we having that in common Andre on the other side but still got a quasi government yeah. kind right. of orientation because right. of the nature of those large contracts but it's just a different world so as you're thinking about if you're in the government, as you're thinking about uh, pursuing a PMP and your, your own project management career, think about how it transitions. Think about the other things that you can do because there's a lot of value in it. It's a, uh, it's a credential that, that can serve you well worldwide. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so very much, gentlemen. Let's give them a round of applause. Um, for all of their knowledge sharing uh, and mentoring. Uh, I say mentoring in a moment sometimes, um, but thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. I think there's a survey back there somewhere. If it is, please make sure that you take that because that is definitely a way to get this panel back for next year. So again, thank you. It's online, okay, thank you.
Thank you for listening to Project Management Professional, a path to freedom and government opportunity, a professional development seminar featuring President and CEO of the Bones Theory Group, LLC, Michelle Jones, President of Strategic Consulting Network, Incorporated, Dr. Anthony Jr., Project Manager for Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Eric Watson, and Engineering Project Manager for Science Systems and Applications, Andre Smith. If you've enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bayes STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.